and welcome to Archaeopolitics, a Harry Potter reread podcast focusing on politics in the wizarding world. I'm Adri, your co-host and recovering English major. I'm Helene, your co-host, producer, and currently living human popsicle. Thank you, Minnesota. <laughs> and today we'll be covering Chapter 22, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This is the one where Harry tells everyone about his quote-unquote vision of Arthur's attack. Sirius takes the Weasley family in during their crisis, and the trio visit St. Mungo's for the first time. And this is the episode where we have a special guest. Hello, Mike from the Potterless Podcast. Hello, how's it going? Oh, fantastic. Other I'm than sure like, it is in a day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... I've, I've I've backed myself into a corner in like 28 years of of asking people how's it going as like a greeting. It, it was fine <laughs> until recently, but you know. <laughs> yeah, 2020 kind of made it so the default answer to that question is no longer fine. I know. Gosh, what a, of all the things it did to us, it also got rid of a common way that we just interacted as humans. Just added on terrible, to the list. filled with dread. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited to talk to you about this chapter um, and the politics of the world today. But before we get into that, we like to grill our guests on all things Potter. So we have a few questions for you first. Adri, what's the first question we had for Mike? So Mike, when was the first time that you remember being aware of such a thing as Harry Potter? So I have an older sister, Megan. She's four years older than me. And she got into the books pretty soon after they came to the States. So I first heard about it because of her. And because of that is why I didn't read them. Because before Harry Potter came out, she had just read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And my mom was like, I think you would like that too. So I started to read it and I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. So when Megan came around and was like, oh, I've, I just read the first Harry Potter book. It's so good. I was like, no, no, no. I've fallen down this rabbit hole before. I'm not reading Harry Potter. So that did set up my future uh, career. But yes, I would say <laughs> probably like, I guess like around like late 90s, like 99, 2000-ish feels about mm -hmm. right. Like me in like second or third-ish grade, I was born in 92. So yeah, that's uh, that's when I first heard of its existence and very quickly was like, not for me. So your entire like adult life basically was shaped off of not trusting your sister's taste in books when you were children. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I just growing up like I I was good at reading like I started reading at a very young age. But when it came to like reading just for fun, I didn't really enjoy it as much when I was young. I really enjoyed like playing sports, playing video games, stuff like that. Normal kid stuff. So it was it was harder to get me to read books just for fun. And I just was not into super fantasy stuff. I was more into like more realistic -y books. So I, I really got into like sports books about kids since I was a kid that played sports. And yeah. I really liked Holes by Lewis Satchar and stuff like oh, that. So that book. books where I could see myself in it, less so of fantasy. So then what as an adult made you want to finally read the series and also subsequently create a podcast about you reading the series for the first time. Yeah, so I had started a podcast about Vine, the app, because I was very much into the app Vine. And I started a podcast just to try to like 
convince people that meeting people from Vine is no weirder than like meeting your significant other from Tinder or a dating app of sorts. So I would just have conversations with the friends that I made from Vine uh, and just trying to say like, hey, look, it's normal and stuff like that. So I did that for like a year and it was fun. But as like Vine started to fade and as the show felt like I was getting a little stale, I knew I wanted to keep doing podcasts because I liked the format, but I wanted like a subject that was less niche. So I tried to think uh, when I was coming up with ideas, I was trying to think like, what's a a topic that a lot of people really like, because then it would have a very wide audience and not just like this very tiny subset of people. And the first thing I thought of was, oh, well, everybody likes Harry Potter. And then my second thought was, oh, but I haven't read it. And then my third thought was, oh, wait, that's the podcast. So (laughs) that was my idea for the show. I sat on that idea for a little bit until I met my now wife, Kelly. Um, But at the time, I we weren't together and I was just looking for more excuses to talk to her. And she (laughs) offhandedly mentioned once that she really liked Harry Potter. And I was like, aha, an excuse to talk to her. So then I decided to like start reading the books in prep for making the show and then yeah here we are man so fitting close to valentine's day this story (laughs) Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. everything harry (laughs) potter brought you closer to your wife to be that's so sweet yeah it really did all the game i love it (laughs) so if i've got my intel right you're a fellow gryffindor i think you mentioned this on the panel we were on together years and years ago yes 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 many moons ago yes so Hello, fellow Gryffindor. What's an, what's your secondary house? Sure. Main house, definitely Gryffindor. Very, very much so. I would say the secondary house of mine would be a Hufflepuff just because I am very big into loyalty, whether it is serious things like friendships or silly things like sticking with my beloved New York Knicks franchise, even though they've been a terrible basketball organization for 20 <laughs> plus years. So loyalty is really important to me, uh, trying to like look out and be accepting and stuff like that. So I, I would say Hufflepuff is definitely secondary, though I have too many tendencies uh, that are distinctly not Hufflepuff, like being, <laughs> you know, really trying to put myself out there and definitely wanting credit for things and stuff like that (laughs) being okay with you know hearing people say nice things about me stuff like that uh i i feel like i i originally thought i was going to be a hufflepuff and then as i actually learned what the houses were i realized i'm more gryffindor but i like to think i've still got a little puff inside me adri your secondary house is hufflepuff too isn't it correct correct okay and then i yeah. Well, it's funny because then I'm I'm a Hufflepuff, which my secondary house is Gryffindor. So we've got lots oh, of there Gryff- you go. Griffin puffs or Huffledores or whatever you want to call them here mm-hmm. on this podcast for sure. Yeah, we've definitely got a, like a real imbalance of the houses tonight. Yeah. We, do, we do not have that. Ravenclaws and Slytherins, not welcome. Get out of here, nerds and racists. Bye. <laughs> if you're a real Slytherin, I know you're not actually racist. It's just the ones in the books are. <laughs> But you will stand by that nerd uh, quote forever, correct? (laughs) Yes. I mean, (laughs) Ravenclaws are proud nerds. I mean, I I don't. I really don't think nerd should be an insult at all. I I I very much ascribe to the uh, the Vlog Brothers definition of it that like just being a nerd means you care a lot about something, and that's like since when is that a bad thing? Yeah, no, that's actually a great thing yeah do you have someone in the wizarding world that you would consider your best friend if you met them in real life i for sure think it would be Ginny. i feel a kinship with a lot of the weasleys 
I, I feel like I would be friends with Fred and George, but they're just a bit too silly and goofy and I don't find pranks to be funny. And I feel like if you were going to be friends with them, you'd have to be really okay with pranks. I really enjoy Ginny. Just like, I feel like she toes that line between being silly when the time calls for it, being serious when the time calls for it. And I look to her for inspiration of, of trying to like be funny and uplifting, but like at certain times it calls for, being somber or just being supportive, et cetera. And I think Ginny toes that line pretty well. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Adrian can knows this cause she knows me very well, but I'm sitting here with a huge grin on my face because <laughs> Ginny is my favorite character. She's great. She's so great. <laughs> All right. So we talked about BFFs. Who would be your arch nemesis? I, I'm going a little like non easy here because I think it's very easy to be like, oh, Voldemort because he's Hitler or, you know, Snape because blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to go with one that I've one of the most surprising things when I started reading the series is that like Slughorn wasn't universally hated. And I find that to be very confusing because <laughs> I think he's terrible. So I would say Slughorn just because I think he's like an underrated bad person. He's just so like he's all fake. He's all about appearances. He's all about being a a phony. He's all about optics and caring what people think. And like, he's like if LinkedIn was a person and (laughs) I, I think he deserves more hatred. Like Slughorn would be really into Clubhouse right now. Like that's who we're dealing with with Slughorn. And I just from I, I was like scarred of this in my early days of engineering before I started doing this full time where like there were so many people that would just do things in their career for the sake of oh like getting connections or doing Mm -hmm, this thing mm because it looks good and stuff like that and i just saw so many people that like shaped their lives based on like what other people would think or say if they did stuff and it just rubs me so the wrong way i'm very much about do whatever feels right to you dress however feels right to you act date like whatever don't do it based on like other people's opinions uh obviously you want to like keep people's opinions to like make sure you're not being a bad person but like don't let other people shape your decision making just like be yourself and i think slughorn is just the antithesis to that so i despise him Man, LinkedIn as a person, that is like the most apt description I've ever heard. That is so, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's like when we walk around, like his, his entire framed picture things is basically like the endorsed section at the bottom of a LinkedIn page. There's like, oh, Cormac McLaggen's dad endorsed me for, you know, my Quidditch prowess or whatever. Oh my gosh. So true. Oh my gosh. Um, so if you could change one event or thing in the entire series, what would it be and why? I think what I would change is to make, I would make Snape the complex character that Snape defenders think he is, because I think like (laughs) in theory, Snape could be this complex character. And if you're going by movie Snape, he is, but purely just book Snape is like a trash dude. And then he does like the bare minimum. And now a lot of people are like, he's great when he's not. He bullies children for no reason. He goes out of his way to make fun of Hermione with the tooth, uh, with the teeth mm-hmm, enlargement yeah. thing, which is completely yeah. unforgivable. Makes yeah. fun of Neville for no reason. Like Neville, who has a terrible family situation. Like what a rough situation for a kid to be in. And Snape is like, oh, there's this guy who's incompetent at being a wizard too. I'm also going to make fun of him for no reason. Like at least there's a bad justification with the Harry bullying that Snape does, even though Harry's a child and Snape's 40. But like... <laughs> At least there's a reason there with the grudge and all, but there's no reason for him to be rude to Harry's friends. So I feel like what I would change is just to make him 
more aligned with how Alan Rickman portrays him in the movies where he's a bit more complex. He is, you know, like there's a difference between being reserved and curmudgeon and then being like outwardly rude in certain circumstances. So yeah. I feel like if Snape wasn't just like mean for no reason a bunch earlier in the series, when he starts to have his redemptive arc towards the end and you start to learn like his tragic backstory, I think that would make it land a little bit more rather than it, rather than it come off as him just being this guy that just like couldn't get over a grudge for a really long time. So I would just like take out some of the bad parts, add in some more good parts so that he is truly complex and not like round up to being a bad person i mean we've said this before but snape is definitely just an incel like i mean yeah i i've seen like a lot of those threads and stuff and like it, it makes sense it, and it, i just i feel like jk rowling even felt like she got it wrong because movie snape is so different i feel like that was like mm -hmm. her second crack at trying to make snape well you know you add things like the shush under the the look tower or whatever the 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 big tower thing astronomy tower. there it is the astronomy tower. <laughs> thank you uh like adding stuff like that is stuff that just like was not there in the book at all and i think if you if, if she could go back but you know what uh, uh, but I mean, you know <laughs> I, I think he could be more complex than he actually is in the text alan rickman uh rest in peace mm -hmm. was a fantastic actor who really you know made it permissible to like snape at least he's just so likable how could it's <laughs> yeah. impossible to not like even if you watch die hard you're like wow this hans gruber guy he knows what's up like <laughs> it's so hard not to like alan rickman in anything he's in so oh, i just wish that energy was in the book <laughs> Even in Love Actually, when he's like the trash husband, you're like, yeah, when oh, he cheats on like Trelawney, <laughs> when he when he cheats on Trelawney, who he went and married when no one was looking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love Actually, a Harry Potter spinoff. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. Before we go too deep into our topic for today. We want to take some time to thank our patrons for keeping the show going. So if you'd like to help keep the show alive and get some exclusive content, please head over to patreon.com slash accuopolitics. $2 a month will get you access to bonus content for every episode, and 5 and $10 a month tiers will get you physical rewards every three months. Now, today's Patreon-exclusive content is an in-depth discussion on the power and magic of love. In the wizarding world. Fitting, since this will be released the day before Valentine's Day. We've got it. <laughs> All right, so now let's move on to our Potter Watch segment where we discuss the news in the United States. I mean, it's it's been a week, it's been a year, uh, 2021, uh, and uh, just really... Normally, the Republican Party is morphing into the QAnon party with uh, someone called Marjorie Taylor Greene being the face yeah. of this. I want to know who her opponent was. How, like, what did a cardboard box run against her? Like, how do you? <laughs> oh, I don't know how oh. she won. Okay, Mike oh, and Helene, I don't know if you know this, but he had to get out of the race because he oh, was Oh, because he got death, death threats, right? Yes. Yeah, super normal stuff. Yeah, okay, Super cool. normal. Um, he, he was like, you know what? Yeah. I'd rather yeah. stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And stick the rest of the entire country with this crazy woman. Thanks, dude. Well, you know, he'd be dead, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he would have lost anyway. 
I'm sure in whatever district they're in, it, it was a very red place where he might have yeah, not been super. not been able to win the race anyway. But yeah, you well, know, I'm I'm very disappointed with all the stuff that's going on. The fact that she was like even brought into a uh, a, a high role, but then they they voted to like kick her off committees and stuff, right? So that's yes. at least yeah, 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 yeah. Only the Democrats true. though. The Republicans no, wouldn't do of it. Course. <laughs> no, no, there was there was like an overwhelming. Eleven majority. people like, voted yes, I think. I think yes, few, eleven oh, yeah, people said yes. <laughs> no that wasn't wait that was for the impeachment for marjorie taylor green i think it was like 140 to 60 or something okay it was so, a big majority. so they didn't want to kick her off both committees and then the democrats had to do it is my understanding okay. well so, i mean all i can all i'm gonna say is that apparently my people the nice jews of the world have <laughs> Started California forest fires with our space lasers. So watch out, oh, guys. Oh, right. Yeah, she said a, Oh, my God. I'm going to come after you with my space lasers because I got all of them, you know? This <laughs> is so frustrating about all the news that comes out about her. It's like, look at this awful thing she said in 2018. Look at this awful thing she said on Facebook back then. It's like, where was this when she was running for office? Like, come on. How do you not? How does this not come up before? It was apparently all out. And like, oh, no one dang. cared in her district. Of course, no one cared. Yeah. Because <laughs> of course, because <laughs> uh, this world is on fire. And where is her district? What part of the world? I Let actually me have see. no idea. Georgia. Makes sense. Of course. Middle. Oh, Georgia did so good. <laughs> I know. They disappointed us in this one area. Come on, Georgia. Uh, it's the 14th uh, congressional district. <laughs> I love Wikipedia. She's like, she's an American far right politician, businesswoman, and conspiracy theorist. <laughs> oh, love that. Well, she definitely is. I mean, that's oh, an apt description. So she isn't from, I've, I've got some information from ballotpedia.org. It is a plus 27 Republican advantage county uh, or district. It is 85.3% uh -huh. white, unsurprisingly. Oh, wow. <laughs> well. <laughs> Hmm. Well, so uh, on a slightly different note, was anybody else watching the impeachment trials today? So I've been watching like some super cuts of it. First off, as a podcaster who edits my own podcast, the amount of mouth clicks that those microphones are picking up is death to my ears. <laughs> it is like the clickiest, like someone give them a green apples to eat, please. There's so many mouth noises. But from like mm -hmm. an actual impeachment trial perspective. I got to say, like the stuff that the Democrats have been putting forward, I, f I forget the name of the guy who's who's in charge of it. The the guy with the brown hair, he put together like some really solid stuff. And uh, that little like nine minute video that they played of just like all the January 6th stuff was it was so impressive that there was someone that I know who had previously gone like full Trump supporter that messaged me and said, I just saw that video. I am so sorry. Like. Wow. It, it was that good of evidence that it's it's giving me hope that it's turning around people that at least yeah. I knew didn't think January 6th was a big deal. I have heard about this video and meant to watch it yesterday and haven't gotten around to it yet, but I am like very intrigued. My sister said somewhat similar things. I need to go watch it. Yeah, um, I mean, because all of the people who were at the insurrection were like live streaming it and stuff they have tons of footage of it so the, <laughs> the democratic crime you know, in the digital age <laughs> yeah i mean they basically <laughs> just did a big supercut of a bunch of videos from what happened and what what was big for me was that i was still pretty tuned into everything that went down that day but there were some quotes from trump himself at the little rally thing yeah. that was going on on the day itself 
that mm-hmm. I had never heard. And just like, you know, I, I put the pieces together from his tweets and his rhetoric that he was trying to incite the insurrection, but it didn't seem like a hundred percent direct, yeah. even though it was obvious for anyone that like used critical thinking skills to think about it. But in, in some of the, in the video, they have quotes where he was straight up like, we're going to, he basically was like, we're going to go to the Capitol. Like it was, it was yeah. way mm-hmm. more direct than I had even realized. Yeah. Fun fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene also did a like live stream of herself walking down those corridors where they were going to trap senators and Congress people and gas them. Maybe like a few days after like everyone was like, take her, strip her away from her committees. And I'm just like, just she just like doubles down like Trump. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to say you're, you shouldn't be fit to do this because you're a conspiracy, crazy conspiracy theorist. And then you're going to go and do something even worse. Well, she's like, already been stripped of her committees. What else are they going to do to her? But this was before she was stripped from her committee. Oh, oh, I thought, oh, I thought you said after. Okay. I must No, So after you. it was announced that after Democrats were like, let's strip her away from her committees because of all the bullshit she'd been putting out. And she she did a live stream of like showing everyone the tunnels and I was like, What are you planning, you idiot? Like I mean, I don't try to understand these these people. They don't I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And but but the sad thing about all the you know, because the impeachment management like is it there are they called impeachment managers? I can't remember. Impeachment managers, Um, yes. Yes. So all the, the I was watching all their speeches today and they were all so good. And then it just hit me after I a while that I'm like, this is awesome, but they're not going to vote to convict. What? There's no point in this. It makes me so sad that this is all for nothing because 45 out of the 50 Republican senators are 49, 49, 45 out of 49 now. I can't remember how many there are, uh, but 45 of them have said that this is an inconstitutional impeachment and they're not going to vote for uh, for indictment. So it really is not. There's no point. I think, though, Helene, if they get enough like public push from their you know from where they're representing from people watching at home who get their you know minds changed they might have to because they're cowards we know that well i mean i'm I'm definitely hopeful but also realistic (laughs) well yeah hopeful but remain skeptic 2020, right. 2021, 2016, 2017, uh, and so year. on. As, All year, year from to come. <laughs> my entire adulthood now is hopeful but remains skeptical. <laughs> the guy's name I couldn't think of, it was uh, Raskin. That was his name. <laughs> the Democratic <laughs> manager. Uh, that was going to Jamie, haunt Jamie you. Raskin, Democrat from Maryland. I wanted to look it up. I got to give him this credit. He had some really solid stuff. Uh, he's been doing a really great job. You know, you know who didn't do a good job? Trump's lawyers. I just wanted to get that in there. Oh, oh my gosh. boy. <laughs> Hachi machi, baby. Had some fun yeah. stuff. Oof, yeah, they were bad. Oof. I, too, could go to law school. They're just showing us our potential, guys. Sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> On to Hogwarts Debate Club where we reveal to each other the politic that we think stood strong throughout this chapter. And then later we will deep dive into the quote or moment, character, and theme throughout the book that we think best embodies the politic that we're going to choose. So your turn first, Helene. Yes, I'm first. Okay. 
So my politic was half-truths. Kind of like, that was the best way I could think of to explain, like to name it, because there was also, I don't know, like information filtering or like, yeah, half-truths is, is kind of what I went with. So telling half-truths conceals the full story and allows the narrator or whoever's speaking or telling these half-truths to tell their story in a way that they feel is acceptable to their audience and that puts them in a better light. So we see this quite a few times throughout the chapter. We see when Harry tells the Weasley family of his vision, he definitely holds back on some of the more important parts, including the fact that he was watching the attack through the eyes of Nagini because he doesn't want the Weasleys to think lower of him or think that he did it intentionally or, you know, whatever, whatever reason he had, he only told them half the truth. And then Dumbledore asks Harry questions to confirm his suspicions, but he doesn't exactly explain why he wants to know. He kind of just tells him only what he wants him to know and holds everything else back. Um, and then this one, I, it's kind of reaching a little bit, but I kind of see it like when Sirius tells Creature to get out, Creature kind of, he doesn't say anything, so he can't tell a half truth, but he does what Sirius asks him to but doesn't tell him that he's going to do to the extent that he's going to follow that um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we as we learn later that one word where Sirius yells out basically leads to Sirius's death because Creature ends up betray uh, betraying him um when he leaves and goes to Bellatrix and then finally um in St. Mungo's, when Arthur is recounting his attack to his children uh he explains what happens but he doesn't talk about where he was specifically or why he was there. He just tells the bare bones of what happened without giving all of the special details that would lead the kids to understand that he was doing this special work for the order. Fantastic. Mike, what is your politic? Yeah, my politic was along the same lines. And, and similarly, I didn't know exactly how to phrase it. I originally didn't type it in the planning Google Doc because I was like, I don't know if this counts as a politic, but ba <laughs> basically like tailoring the message to whatever audience you have to reach a particular goal. So like you, for me, it was just like you, the way Harry's trying to get certain things out of every conversation when he, when he's talking about this situation and like with Dumbledore, he, he wants to know like what is happening. So he doesn't hold back any aspect of the truth at all. But then when it comes time to telling the kids versus when it comes time to tell Sirius, like he has different trust levels, but then also like different things to get out of it. Like he's just trying to explain to the other kids like what happened. So he doesn't feel the need to get into all of the details of like implicating me. And and for me, from like a politic perspective, it's like people, you know, whether it's withholding certain information or trying to like dictate the message, it's to try and it's to try and get to a certain point and and frame your argument or or whatever you're trying to say in a way. It's almost like, when, like it reminded me of when people like slip things into bills and then try to like not mention it because it's like, oh, the main thing you should take away from is the relief package. But also we did this thing where like <laughs> a bunch of money is going here. So like it made me think of that too. As far as like the particular quotes or moments in the the chapter i think just all the when you the way it's structured in that the dumbledore conversation which is the like all out in the open thing the fact that that happens first when you see harry have all the subsequent con conversations 
as the reader that knows everything, you know what he's holding back. So like Mm -hmm. you can tell by what he's not saying what he doesn't want people to hear. So every time he has that conversation, you hear the story be a little bit different, you know, like what's being withheld. As far as a character, I think it is Harry because it's interesting to see how he approaches all the different people, like all the different audiences get a different version of the story. Um, And then, yeah, just like throughout the book, I think this is it's definitely something Harry does. It's most prominent in this fifth book when, you know, he's trying to be like in, or he's just being like irrational for certain things. And like we see it later on when he does the serious thing, um, when he's seeing the vision and all of that. And he just really wants them to act on the vision. It's it's something that Harry does uh, to try to get to a certain area is tailor how he speaks and how he shares the information that he does have. Well, I think y- y- you guys' politic is they're inter- intertwined with each other, but also kind of with mine (laughs) so we all had like the same take on different things so mine is conjecture and which is kind of like a nice way of saying jumping into conclusions fun fact i had to i am so depleted i had to google how do you say when you reach a conclusion with insufficient evidence (laughs) (laughs) and then the first thing was like jumping to conclusions and i was like that's what i'm looking for Words. Words. Well, but in this case, it's not necessarily anyone's fault that they're just jumping into conclusions um, in in this particular chapter, because no one really has the full story, not even Harry, even though it is his dream. There are things that Dumbledore knows or suspects that he's not sharing with Harry. And information is treated like currency and Dumbledore is hoarding like all the info in in that side of the marketplace while Voldemort has his other info swirled away. And that also made me think, well, conjecture makes me also think about the ways in which we can make arguments, Mike, like you were talking about, and Helene, how you are talking about half-truths, where we can select and omit certain things to make to make us uh, sound more learned or like wonderful, and and then people are like, yeah, but there are like holes in that argument, you know. Just like when you're listening to any politician, they sound great, but then you're like, yeah. wait, a- wait a second, it's all <laughs> two thousand two thousand dollar checks. Oh, they're to give you six hundred. Uh, fourteen hundred dollars plus six hundred is two thousand dollar checks. Exactly. <laughs> But also uh, maybe to only people who make $50,000 or less. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, presentation is everything. Definitely, I think while, yeah, I think definitely all of our politics are very political in nature in the fact that this is just a way that politicians communicate to people. And this is how they get ahead in their careers. They have to make sure that they're saying the information in a way that makes them look good. They have to spin it as Mike once said. Mm-hmm. Well, they have to also appeal to the greatest swath of voters right? or no. likely voters. So they always have to have someone who is telling them like, this is what people who used to like you are saying on Twitter. Like, <laughs> get your act together. Yeah. Yeah. Because now Twitter, Twitter's what... like the, the I, I don't know, like 
is is news, newspapers are the fifth estate or whatever. Twitter is like the the sixth circle of hell <laughs> in our government. True, true. And like even though I I did pick Molly as my character that embodied the uh, the politic this time, and even though I did pick her, I do think that Dumbledore probably embodies the politic throughout the whole book. Um, Molly really um, for me embodies it in this chapter specifically mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. in the fact that like she is the person in the room when they're in St. Mungo's enforcing Arthur to make sure that he withholds the information that she does not want her children to hear so she's the one that's like making it so that there is there are half-truths and there are things that the kids don't know um, without her in the room, I'm sure Arthur would have just told her every, told him everything. I, I guess, like, I guess she sees it more as like these are boundaries that we have to put for our children's safety. But your children are nosy, ma'am. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> your children want to know everything. Stop trying to make their lives easier by just hiding things from them that they might actually be better off knowing this when you think you're doing the right thing but it (laughs) ends up blowing up in your face anyway for me the the character was kind of like harry but i also thought that the members of the order from what we were able to overhear are also pretty involved in like jumping into conclusions or you know framing conclusions without really understanding if they have at least most of the facts. I I don't even need all the facts, but at least most of them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that comes up. It's like people already have an idea in mind and then they just like get confirmation from a character Mm -hmm. as opposed to like using using all of like sound logic and reasoning to get to the conclusions. Like it's, it's almost like they're trying to like confirmation bias their way into some of their decisions. Like they've made the decision and then they check afterwards like, oh, cool, tight. That aligns with my theory I already was acting upon. Yeah, that confirmation bias is the worst. I mean, it's the worst. We are we are all susceptible to it, right? But it also it, it also shows a very like limited view of of one thing or, or something that happened. Like you would get, I don't know, at a party you would ask ten people like what happened, and you would have ten totally different stories. And they might all be right, but until we all put them together, we can't to have like the full picture, really. Right, but no. then the, the people who are listening to all the stories are going to believe the ones that confirm what they thought happened and the, not the ones that don't confirm, and there we go. Did you have a uh, quarter moment that from the chapter, Adri, that really stood out to you? For, con- for conjecture, I thought I was going to go with the extendable ears um, incident, <laughs> but... The the more I think about it, the more, the more I'm like, well, when Harry was in Dumbledore's office, and he grabbed, you know, the port key, and for a moment their eyes met, and you know he felt the way that he felt. Oh yeah. He jumped into a conclusion of, oh my god, what is wrong with me? Um, why do I feel this way? And you know hormones 15 year olds whatever so so that to me sets the stage for what comes later in his self-loathing yeah like he immediately assumes that he is actually feeling those things himself and that he's not being 
manipulated by outside forces. Like he's, he feels it and he's like, oh, that's not, that's how I feel. That's so weird. Um, instead of like, you know, maybe thinking about it a little bit more critically and thinking, I don't really feel this way. Something else has to be going on. Well, but you know, feelings, man. Right. He's usually very like emotionally aware. Not in book five. You know this. This is uh, <laughs> this is the the one where I could most connect to Harry on a very angry level. Because <laughs> you're not in touch with your emotions. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I am very in touch with my anger sometimes. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, I mean, all joking aside, this to me, this book encapsulates all those teenage emotions that ran so true for me as a teenager just constantly angry at the world and being like why does everyone hate me not really everyone hated me but you know <laughs> well, just dramatic I just, it just felt like dramatic. they did thinking back to being a teenager harry's age i mean not not even just being his age alone but also you know going through the shit that he went through as a kid you know like parents dying in front of you you know friend cedric dying in front of you living in an abusive household yeah you got to deal with that all of that and being 15 and going through puberty and And figuring out how to be a wizard exactly and and like my like the the elderly wizened headmaster who i so admire is not taking my calls all of a sudden right Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've been just, put on read receipts by Dumbledore. <laughs> just constant ghosting. Like, I I mean, and there are literal ghosts here, so. <laughs> the girl I like keeps crying every time she kisses me. I don't understand. What, what am I doing wrong? Poor boy. Oh, it's just because our school doesn't have a guidance counselor. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm, the, I'm the leader of a movement I never wanted. <laughs> Honestly, if if I did live in the in the wizarding world, I would totally be the first ever wizard therapist. I would love that job. Do it, yes, yes. <laughs> I would love it, and they really need it. They, I'm they really do. filling they a gap really there, <laughs> filling yeah, up no, a, it's a a necessary need. Yeah, there wasn't any. Um, Saint Mungo's didn't have like a ward for you know mental ailments did it of course not now because there's no wizards with any sort of mental problems in jk rowling's books except for gilderoy lockhart who you know yet she she well, like right but that's because a spell happened like nobody <laughs> exactly. has like a normal mental health issue at all well it's it's so weird because like she doesn't address just the normal mental health things in the wizarding world yet she makes an entire character beast being thing that is a huge metaphor for depression like why put all of that time and effort into creating this huge metaphor for depression and then not address any other mental health issue at all well the the thing that the thing is helene i I, let me let me rolling explain something to you roll explain there you go (laughs) okay (laughs) depression dementor obviously but they don't need mental health. All they need is to do the Patronus charm, and it works. Kind of like how Tom Cruise is like, vitamins, you don't well, need anything no, else. No, so, I mean, to even make that even more um, simplified, the Patronus charm requires you to think of a happy memory. So when you're depressed, yeah. just think of something happy and you'll be fine. 
Exactly. Well, like Tom that's Cruise. That's how it works. Like, like Tom Cruise's Scientology. Like, you just have to have vitamins. Nothing else works. I think that's what happens when you go to therapy. They just ask you to, like, remember good things. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds really bad. What's a happy thing that happened to you? Oh, this one time I rode a bike. Oh, wow. Cool. Great. You're well, cured. You're, you're fixed. You're cured. <laughs> have some chocolate. Yes. Chocolate does fix everything. I mean, at least it helps. So there's that. <laughs> well, speaking of Dementors and chocolate. Wait, before we get there, ah. before we get there, one second. I know oh, it's a sorry, perfect transition. It's a perfect transition, I know, and I'm sorry for ruining it, but I just wanted You're to- You're ruining my life, Aline. <laughs> Why does I know, everyone hate me? It's awful. I'm a, I'm a horrible person. Um, I just wanted to, I did look up all the, the like floors and wards or whatever in St. Mungo's, um, and I just wanted to confirm there is not anything for like mind things, although we, I mean, most of the- People we see in St. Mungo's have some sort of mental ailment. I mean, Lockhart, Neville's parents, like, they both are suffering from mental ailments. But they would probably go to the spell damage on the fourth floor. That's mm. that's all that there is for, because all the other ones don't really have anything. Because that's the only way you can get a mental health issue in the yep. Harry Potter world, because of a spell. Exactly. Yeah, yep. not, not near-death experiences. Without nope. having been hit with a spell. Cool, cool, cool. Right, right. PTSD. Who? 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 I don't know her. <laughs> okay, so now, sorry, we were talking about Dementors and chocolate, and now we're going to talk about Dementors and chocolate. Oh, wait, wait, I did have one quote. I have my quote. I wanted to say my quote. I'm such a bad, I'm so horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm just, we're going off the rails. Um, so To I the fourth floor with you. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, so there was a quote that I, um, thought really fit my politic for this chapter. I just wanted to read it for you guys real quick. So it was, says, it was, Harry began, this was even worse than telling McGonagall and Dumbledore. I had a, a kind of vision and he told them all that he had seen, though he altered the story so that it sounded as though he watched from the sidelines as the snake attacked rather than from behind the snake's own eyes. Very, mm -hmm. very telling. I mean, basically says exactly what I said the politic was and the fact that he altered the story so that it made him look better to the people he was telling it to. So, very. Well, every time, well, one, one, every time you tell something traumatic, you're mm -hmm. re-traumatizing yourself. True. A little bit. Um, unless you have a, a professional to guide you through it, which we have concluded there is not one in this series <laughs> and he knows i think harry knows pretty pretty well by now that like mm, maybe it's not the best look that i was watching from the snake's point of view because people are s starting to get a little suspicious yeah. you know just just a little thing here called the daily prophet the guy has to go through so much scrutiny in his life like i like respect him for wanting to make his life a little bit easier like you do you harry also on a less superficial level though i often wonder if every time you know we're telling a piece of ourselves to someone else and we want to protect ourselves and change like something slightly insignificant or significant but the end result stays the same if that is a way to yourself deal with the trauma by kind of separating yourself from it a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, it's also a thing with like trying to change the story. It's definitely a thing where like if you continue to like tell a story with an altered detail over and over and over again, you then convince yourself that this is actually the true version of the story. Kind of like what happened with Slughorn and his memory in Exactly. Except he did a really bad job of editing it. When I read the book, I always imagined it was like a comically terrible, like, <laughs> get out of here, no! Like, I always imagined it being like very poorly white out on paper turned into a memory. <laughs> it would have been much more entertaining if they had edited it like that in the movie, I have to say. But yeah, you, you can convince yourself of things that never happened by just telling yourself the same story over and over again. I mean, but still... Poor Harry, he needs a therapist. Helene, you should be that therapist. I'll be there for it. I majored in psychology. I, I got this. You got this. <laughs> I am useless at this. I majored in English. <laughs> I can just ba- you can barely teach him how to read, read. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Helene, you uh, really stepped on the best transition in the world. I Thank did. you for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> now that I'm depressed, let's talk about <laughs> Dementors and Chocolate. <laughs> oh, there we go. There's a transition. So, Mike, uh, what what was your Dementor? What did what did you not thoroughly enjoy in this chapter? This chapter, it was it was funny that this is the one that we ended up doing because this chapter, I think, is part of what I think is like one of the bigger issues with book five. I don't think that the story of book five is bad, but I do think that like the way book five is told is one of my least favorite books in the series, just cause it was like the first time she clearly didn't have an editor, like telling her to cut some of the, the fat. And I think that, it's really clear in this chapter when they describe St. Mungo's because like this chapter starts, you've got all the snake stuff. He tells everyone about it. It's hype. You've got all the conversations and then they're going to go visit Arthur and you're all geared up and ready to go because Arthur is going to say his side of the story. And then what happens for like 12 pages? It feels like they describe like getting into St. Mungo's and waiting in line for the receptionist at St. Mungo's and then figuring out what's on all the floors of St. Mungo's. And like, I understand world building, but also, so just from like a pacing perspective, like just skip to the parts like they went into St. Mungo's and we're in Arthur's room. Like there's so much like description of how the building works and how they get in and all the stuff that just felt so mundane and unnecessary. And I was just so antsy the first time I read it. And this time rereading, I was just like, just get to the part where they talk to Arthur. Like it's so I feel drawn out. I was just going to say it, it felt like a lot of work and emotional like, you know, labor, I guess. For no payout because we didn't exactly. see it in the movie. Like if we had seen it in the movie, I'd been like, oh, cool. We read about that. Like now we get to see it. And then they just left it out of the movie, which kind of stuff. But yeah, when they described St. Mungo so in detail, I thought that it was going to be for a reason, but it was just like a lot of flavor text that didn't really do anything. So I uh, I was not a fan of that. And then another like a minor thing, but this is just a frustration, uh, is that one of the details they give you is that the healer in charge is uh hip like hippocrates smithwick so like oh the lead doctor is named after the hippocratic oath really like this is just the, like good thing when that person was born they were told you have to work in the medical field and you're not like hippocrates smithwick the keeper on the local quidditch team because you have the doctor themed name so you have to grow up to be a doctor I, I just maybe. I, one of my biggest gripes is people being named after the thing that they do. Maybe. So maybe he was so passionate 
about being in the medical field that he changed whatever his boring old name was ah. <laughs> to Hippocrates Methwick because he wanted what... <laughs> to just be so enmeshed in what he was so passionate that's just, about. That's just branding 101. Yeah, that's why Johnny Menzel <laughs> legally changed his last name to football so that he became Johnny Football. Well, there you go. And like, I mean, I'm sure that's true for all the other characters that have just really convenient names, like Professor Sprout. Professor Sprout. He was like, oh, I'm actually Professor, you know, John Smith, but I'm going to name myself Professor Sprout because I just love plants so much. <laughs> the original plant mom. Love her. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Helene, what was your Dementor? I love Harry. He and Jenny are tied for my favorite character. I love him so much. And I just feel so bad for him in this chapter because he is feeling so guilty for the part that he thinks or he feels that he played in Arthur's attack. Um, Because he really feels personally responsible for it because he thinks he had something to do with it since he saw it through McGinney's eyes. So I just feel really bad for him and not him not being able to tell anybody what he's feeling. Um, or when he does try to tell Sirius, Sirius just kind of like brushes him off. Um, and I just, he can't even sleep. Like he doesn't even want to go back to bed because he's worried he'll attack someone else in his dream. And uh, poor guy. I just want to give him a hug and be his therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I read this chapter. Do we even go to St. Mungo's again after this? Yeah, Ever? We, we do. Yep. Um, we have to meet Neville's parents. And uh, check in on our old pad, uh, pad. I was gonna say pal and buddy, and I just said Patty. I don't know. Um, our old, our old pal, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart, to see how that uh, memory charm is treating him. So okay, we go back at least once. All right. So when they're in line, and everyone's like, you know, yelling around, and he's overhearing all of these things, I'm like, I'm sorry. Is there no <laughs> patient privacy in here? Like, this sounds like a trading floor. There's just, like, too much going on. Are you talking about when Arthur, like, knows exactly what happened to, like, all the other people in his room? Is that what you're talking about? But even even in the info desk, like, everyone was just very candidly and openly talking about what was wrong with them. Yeah, the receptionist talks like someone, like, giving out orders at, like, a very busy burger joint. Correct. Yeah, so. Like, oh, Weasley, the guy got bit by a giant snake? Go to this floor. (laughs) So she's like, she's like, ma'am, this is the Wendy's. Um... (laughs) But yeah, so I was just like, is there not like HIPAA in the UK? And well, like, there should be the doctor's <laughs> Hippocrates. <laughs> it's true. Like, I'm just, I'm just really concerned about patient privacy. And then that's cemented later on, Helene, like you, you said, when Arthur knows everything about everyone. I'm just, this is completely off topic, but do you think that when people reference the Hippocratic Oath, Hippocrates is like, oh, it's my oath. You know, have you taken my <laughs> oath? I don't know. You just see him being all like cocky about it. <laughs> uh, very Gilderoy about it, I would say. Uh, but in terms of what, with Arthur, I mean, I've never personally uh, stayed in a hospital room that was like shared, but I know it's a thing. And I feel like it's probably normal for people to, you know, yeah. share like yeah. why they're there, you know. Yeah, I mean, the patients talk to each other, Yeah, and, you know, but it seems to me like a lot of the information he's gathered is from overhearing the very loud and inappropriate conversations that doctors have with the patients, not from the patients themselves. I guess, yeah. 
and and that's yeah. where I'm like, guys, I don't know, privacy. It's important. Yeah, definitely. On to happier things. Um, Mike, what was your chocolate in this chapter? What did you hold dear, really enjoy in the chapter? I really like Fred a lot. I mm-hmm. think he's such a great character. I was absolutely crushed for, spoiler alert, in case anyone has read book seven, uh, his death. So I, I love what? him. I love his antics. <laughs> <laughs> I love his... <laughs> Why did you have to tell I, us that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just in case there could be other me's out there. Um, but like just his, his dedication to snooping in this chapter is great. Like he is so adamant about figuring out what happened and trying to listen in on every single conversation. He annoys Molly about it. He whips out the extendable ears. The first second that they get the chance to in the hospital, like he is so determined to hear what is going on and you just got to respect someone who is really dedicated to a cause and his cause is trying to listen in on conversations that he's been intentionally left out of and you know i i respect i respect him not quitting i too respect that as someone who used to be very nosy in her teenage years and would gladly lip read a conversation that was far away wow impressive i'm surprised that like Fred and George haven't come up with some sort of device or um, spell that allows them to read lips from far away. That would be really helpful. Or just record yeah, I mean, I guess a conversation. Ex- <laughs> yeah, I guess the extendable ears do a pretty good job, but they do feel like pretty obvious unless, you know, they mainly use them in the books to like hide them under doorways and stuff. But I feel like it's a very limited use case where it's like, why do you have a giant silly putty ear sticking out? <laughs> Out. They kind of remind me, at least like the version in the mo- in the movies reminds me of just like holding a can with a string up to my ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's just like I a, think that's a supposed magical to be version the, uh, of that. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be the uh, like, like the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I see that, Helene? What's your chocolate? Um, mine was Sirius and Molly getting along for a total of like point three seconds. Mm-hmm. They don't get along very often. They tend to fight a lot, and usually it's about you know, the well-being of the kids and what they think is best for them. And, you know, this moment of grief, grief is awful and it, it's so difficult and hard to navigate, but it does in ways bring people together. And this is just something that they were able to bond over, which I, I did like to see them getting along for a little bit. Harry's like main father figure and Harry's main mother, mother figure, even though, you know, they're not anywhere like romantically involved whatsoever but they're well just <laughs> the, the two divorced figures. parents the yes. divorced parents coming along for one holiday yeah what a miracle so what was your chocolate adri uh so mine was uh it's kind of cheesy um it's arthur weasley's like chipper determination in the face of like what was a near fatal attack or a fatal attack if it had gotten untreated very good very good and you know like they're like oh so why don't you take the why don't they take your bandages off he's like oh you know i just keep bleeding all over the place yeah you know (laughs) i have mortal wounds (laughs) i have mortal wounds it's nothing we're good let's move on (laughs) yeah Um, he he was really really uh nice and to see in this chapter for sure 
and mm-hmm. it kind of. I also it also bleeds bleeds at, into the the next <laughs> chapter, which has one of my favorite moments, which is when he describes stitches to Molly, and then they like you you hear through the closed door, they're like, "What do you mean? That's the general idea!" Like, ah. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite moments across the entire series. So oh. I agree. His chipper attitude is fantastic. Admirable. It it kind of um, tracks with, I just finished this book called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And one of the things is like when faced with adversity, like mentally strong people don't wallow in self-pity. They accept the situation. They know it sucks but they're not going to like throw a pity party over and over again for themselves. They're just going to be like, okay, this is how it is. Now we just got to get out of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to know that that is something that a, a book said is for mentally strong because I have always done that. And I didn't know if it was like a good thing or if I was just like heartless where I was just like, look, it's done. I'm not going to waste time <laughs> being sad about this. We got to move on. And I have been, uh, I, I know that sometimes it can be, uh, a complaint of either friends or significant others being like, Hey, just let me be sad for a little bit instead of I'm always trying to like fix stuff. Yeah. But I, I do always try to keep in mind that like, you know, th- I think there is a time to be sad and there is a time to, to, to look back with regret, remorse, whatever. But there also comes a point where you have to realize your time is better spent, like trying to move forward, move on, address the situation rather than just like, like you said, wallow in your sadness. I, I have to wonder if, you know, I mean, I do believe that Mr. Weasley is very mentally strong, and I do believe that he doesn't wallow in his self pity for very long. But I also have to wonder how much of that demeanor that he was putting on was to make the kids feel better about him being attacked. You know, yeah, like I think it could be to make Harry feel better too, because if he knows the truth, I don't remember if Mr. Weasley actually like fully knows that Harry's behind it, but like it could be a bit of an act to try to not make definitely the kids, but maybe even Harry too, to be like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Helene, I think that you have a great point there. The one thing that I would say to that is that sometimes even when you're pretending to be a certain way and, you know, just for X reason, are you going to say fake it till you make it? <laughs> it, no, it, it actually helps, though. It's kind of like yeah. if you're, you know, like, I, I hate this. I hate that it's true. But if like, if you feel like a certain way, if you like smile for five seconds, it kind of becomes a little bit better. Not yeah. completely, but <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Just like today was a trash fire and we're here laughing. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so on last episode, well, on episode 521, because we had a bonus episode last week, we asked the following question. If you could read the series from another character's perspective or point of view, who would it be and why? Uh, but first, I want to ask Mike. I was this just about to say that. I was like, before we read the responses, can we see what Mike says? Because I want to know what Mike would say to this question. Okay, so it's, it's reading it from someone else's perspective? Yes. Yes. Like think I, Midnight Sun, you know Twilight. Right. Right. No, I, I know this. I know, I know this Midnight because my, my wife good. read that book and I was confused by it. I was confused by it existing. I was like, "Is this good or is this just Stephanie Meyer wanting more money?" And Kelly was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." Um, so I th- I feel like the easy answer here 
is Hermione. And I know that there is someone who has been making fanfic versions of it. And I think they just released like the second book all Ooh. from her perspective. Uh, a lot of people sent that my way because on an early episode of Potterless, I was like, they should do this from Hermione's perspective. And a bunch of people are like, they did. And they emailed it to me. Ooh. But I think if I'm trying to go a little outside the box, I would love just because we get we get some glimpses of McGonagall's like inner thoughts when she doesn't hold back, when she's like very sassy towards Trelawney or if she's very sassy towards Umbridge in particular, like she really pulls out yeah. her her inner thoughts. I feel like getting to hear McGonagall as a narrator, because like we all you think the meanest thing in, a, in our head and then say a normal version out loud. <laughs> like if we have a whole book of McGonagall just like thinking ill of everyone that makes whack decisions, it'd be really good. Like I think McGonagall's inner thoughts are probably incredibly biting and I would love to hear them. So I feel like the book's from her perspective, just to be like, oh, Potter back on his bull again. You know, <laughs> I think it'd be very fun. Oh, these idiots would be like every five seconds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd be yeah. like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I just I just think <laughs> I just think McGonagall, as always, is my is my idol now. Like when I read the books the first time as a teenager, I was like, oh, my God, Hermione is everything, blah, 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 blah. And like yeah. as an adult now, I'm just like, I stand McGonagall all the way. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is this is who I will mold myself self after. Just yeah. kidding. I was already this way. If McGonagall <laughs> did one of those things where it's like on Twitter, it's like quote tweet this with the five most active emojis that you use and frequently used, her top two would be eye roll and facepalm. Yeah. Like no question. <laughs> so true. So true. true. It would be like it would be like eye roll, face palm, and then the boxes that say okay and the box that says cool. <laughs> it would just be all of those. The X. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I'd love I wanna see just like the top most used emojis of all the main characters now, because I need to see that in my life. Ludo Bagman is just every single one of the dollar ones. The flying dollars, the bag. <laughs> the bag, yeah. <laughs> all the different currency rectangle ones, like the yen. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And maybe some like sportsy things thrown in there too. yeah he's got he's got a basketball in there <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say when i answer the question on our twitter or on my twitter i definitely said hermione because i like i you know you would expect me to say Ginny because she's my favorite character and i love her and i want to you know see things from her perspective and in parts yes but like why would i want to read a book that's not from the perspective of of the trio because then you don't get to see mm -hmm. all the good stuff you know right. like the way i thought about it was like i want to see all the stuff that the trio sees but i want to see it from somebody other than harry and i thought you know hermione's really clued in she already knows all this stuff before everybody else like the third book would be so interesting from her perspective because not only is she like going and doing all these extra classes and she knows about the time turner, but she like knew about Lupin and being a werewolf like way early on, like all this stuff that she catches on to way like super fast and doesn't tell the boys until much later in the book. Like you get to be in on that stuff. Yeah, like in book two when she figures out it's basilisks, like you can right. get the whole reveal and not just her giving like the yeah. spark notes version. And then, and then of course when she's petrified, they'll just be blank pages up until the part where you get. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was that would be say... a power move of a book. That'd be so funny. And then it I was of... <laughs> blank. <laughs> There's a lemony one of the lemony snicket books which I read as a kid. Oh, I, I, I don't remember which one, but in one of them, the kids like 
I think they, they have to like do cause the lights in the building or something to turn off. So they, they like stick something into a power outlet to like overload the electricity and it turns it off. And like the last word on one of the pages is like, don't ever. And then you flip the page and it's two <laughs> full pages of just the word ever, 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 ever. Like, and then the next page is like, do this. <laughs> so I, I think it could be a really fun power move like that. That'd be hilarious. Just like chapter 18, I was still a statue. Chapter 19, still a statue. Yeah, it's like the record record scratch freeze frame. Hey, you may be wondering. <laughs> I got petrified by a snake. <laughs> yeah, I just stared at the ceiling in the hospital wing for three days straight. NBD. It would be funny if like if her thoughts were active. So it was just it was three chapters of just being like her counting all the speckles on the ceiling or something. Yeah, it's like, oh, what do I do? I'm so bored. I, I wish like, I could read right now. Like, I wish I could ask <laughs> Madame Frumfrey to put a book in front of my face. <laughs> I was just going to say that, Helene. <laughs> oh, great minds, great minds. It's all good. <laughs> Just, just like, I wish someone would at least talk to me, put a book in front of me. I don't know. Something. Turn me towards the sun. Or though, you know what it is? You know, you know what she's actually worried? She knows what she's doing. She's worrying the entire time about the fact that she can't be studying for her exams. And then oh, she realizes. True, true. And then she realizes the exams got canceled. A sad day in Hermioneville. Yeah. True. Very sad. All right. So I'm going to go through some of the responses that we got to this question from our listeners. So from at Noma Lily, Noma, Noma Lily. I don't know how many L's there are in there. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. They said, Padma Patil, uh, I'd love to experience life as a normal Ravenclaw and learning all the things school related or not while having some connections to the trio via Pavarti and access to background gossip and drama. I like that. Fair, fair. Especially the gossip and drama part. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like getting to hear all the deets and get the dish from the sister in Gryffindor. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And then um, at Toronto 2013 said Luna. And a lot of people said Luna. So we're going to hear all the different reasons why people picked Luna. She was the, definitely the most popular. That's what I was trying to think of. Character when answering this question. So they said Luna because she navigates the world under the influence of her father's conspiracy theories, but also cares deeply about justice. She knows what death is and seems to understand Harry better than anyone else. She builds meaningful relationships with outcasts and she's my favorite character. Wasn't it a few episodes ago where we discussed whether or not uh, her dad was actually Q because of the quibbler? Oh my gosh, I don't know if we actually talked about that, but that is, yeah, that is a very good comparison. Yeah, I think, I think it was like a throwaway comment we made and I was just like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, but you know, the Quibbler, QAnon. But at least he like skewed positive where he like did good things with it, not bad things. Well, he's turned dark recently. (laughs) If QAnon was like a liberal. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 has damaged us all. Okay. But I mean, Luna, Luna and Zeno are definitely the the resident conspiracy theorists in the in the series. So it fits. Paris, one of our patrons, also said Luna. They said, "I would love a Luna point of view. She is one of my favorite characters and also one of the kindest characters in the series." Um, I'm learning that Luna is a lot of people's favorite characters. Not surprisingly, 
But uh, our editor, Allison, said Luna because she wants to know what's going on in that head of hers. Yep, accurate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Luna also would be a good one on a similar vein of McGonagall where like Luna in not a mean spirited way, just in like a not understanding social cues way, sometimes (laughs) accidentally thinks really mean things about people. So she also could have like some really, really funny, just like deadpan humor kind of thoughts about Ron making a poor decision or Harry being silly, etc. I feel like a book from her point of view wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a lot of internal dialogue because I feel like she says everything that's on her mind. So I feel like it would be like, yeah. it, she would like think it and then she would say the same exact thing. Like, oh, Harry looks good There's today. No and like, oh, Harry looks good today. She'll like, it would just be like, I think I'm going to say this out loud now. <laughs> yeah, Luna, Luna to me um, as a neurodivergent person myself, really like hits all those notes of you know being neurodivergent in the way of like huh this is a social norm i didn't know was a thing until someone explained it to me Mm -hmm. type situation (laughs) only no one has really explained it to her or if they have she doesn't want to listen or doesn't care maybe both maybe both i mean and, and obviously there are levels to this like some people can mask their, you know, their neurodivergency better than others. And we shouldn't really be masking ourselves to quote unquote fit in. And Luna's just unapologetically herself. Totally. I think that's probably why she's a lot of people's favorite characters. Yes. A lot of people aspire to be like her. See, Jenny's my favorite character because I aspire to be more like her. So I feel like more other people choose their favorite characters based on people they want to be like. Mm-hmm. Same, yeah. Then we have a couple more answers. Uh, Rosewood underscore Wands on Instagram said Dumbledore because there was so much going on behind the scenes that we didn't know. I also agree that would be interesting for sure. Tested I Potter underscore po- podcast um, said Lupin because of adult perspective, memories of the first war and Harry's parents, order business, and also romance. And he's a complex character who does make mistakes. So it would not be boring to read the story from his point of view. I like that a lot. And then finally, Noland Creative on Instagram said, Serious, mainly because I'm a hardcore wolf star shipper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving these. Thank you guys so much for, for answering that question. Um, maybe one day we'll get it. Maybe hopefully not from the same author. That would be nice if <laughs> you know someone else would jump in and maybe make a more diverse story from a different point of view that'd be pretty cool but yeah it's just so fun to kind of speculate what those stories would include if we saw them from different characters point of view all right so this week's question is what other inventions would you have liked for fred and george to create so we've got extendable ears and all of the great stuff that we see in the books but we feel like some stuff could you know was missing or could be refined so what kind of things would you have liked to see them create yeah what mundane inconveniences could be solved by magical inventions (laughs) or you know hilarity you you know exactly yes what looks funny and is mildly useful i'm okay with that yes i can't wait to see what everybody comes up with All right, that being said, now is the time where we kind of 
stretch kind of like this is the cool down face of the podcast and we talk about non-potter potter stuff uh we talk about the media that we've been consuming mike what media have you been consuming lately Sure, there's a podcast hosted by someone that people listening might be familiar with, uh, Sequoia Simone, who also is a co-host of Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them, which is a great Harry Potter Love podcast. Her. Love She's her. great. Love she just yes. launched a new podcast called But Make It Scary, which I really enjoy, where it takes her and a guest take a rom-com and then each person turns it into a horror film. Uh, so they've done The Notebook. They did, I think, four Christmases. Uh, they did a Christmas movie around Christmas time. And then I was fortunate enough to be on the show and I did The American President and turned it into a horror film. So it's a really fun show. It's brand new. There's like six episodes or so. So uh, I think it's very funny. And I've been very much enjoying seeing people turn rom-coms into horror movies because i i am such a baby that i don't like watching horror movies but i really enjoy like reading wikipedia summaries of horror movies same, uh, same. so i can like get the plot without <laughs> actually having to go through the fear so <laughs> listening to a podcast of people crafting horror movies is like right in my wheelhouse of like the horror i feel safe and secure enough to have without actually having to watch a scary movie <laughs> must be a gryffindor trait mike <laughs> yeah, know. clearly. Big brave boy over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I hate horror movies too. Like I cannot. Like I Yeah, it's just jump scares it. I can't do. Yeah. I can do like a creepy thing. I can do a psychological thriller. I can do gross Same. stuff, but just mm-hmm. I just jump scares I don't I d I've never enjoyed. I feel that. Do you have anything to plug? Do you want to plug your own project? Yeah. So we've talked about it in this episode, but if you want to listen to the Harry Potter podcast that I create called Potterless, it's where uh, I never read the Harry Potter books as a kid. Me and guests were going through all the books and then all the movies. And then I did some fan made stuff like a Harry Potter musical and puffs. And now I'm doing Fantastic Beasts. So whole bunch of stuff there. Just search Potterless wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then I do some other stuff as well. Uh, you can go to my personal website, which is just, it's Shubes. It's S-C-H-U-B dot E-S. Uh, I've got new stuff coming out. I've got a, a big project that I will start to launch uh, a, a Kickstarter for in late March. Uh, I'm trying to be like secretive about it until uh, I, I get to the point where I'm making a big announcement. But keep your eyes peeled for that. It's something I'm really excited towards doing. And then on social media, I'm just at Shub17 everywhere. S-C-H-U-B-E-S-1-7. I'm curious because I've been listening to your um, recent episodes on the Fantastic Beast movies because I am also a host on Speak Beastie. So. I work with Lizzie and Michael. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I so I listened to those episodes, but I'm I'm curious now that you finished Crimes of Grindelwald. What is your? Do you, can you tell us what the next episode is going to be about? I think I'm going to try to intersplice in. I did a bunch of episodes on puffs, and I have a couple of like interviews with the cast that I haven't put out yet. So I think after I finish Fantastic Beasts, I'll do one of them. Then after the Crimes of Grindelwald episodes, another one, and then I think after that, I want to move on towards Harry Potter video games because they're like really fun, and I, I want to like alternate things that I'm critical towards, which I did not like the Fantastic Beast movies at all. So to kind of cleanse the palette, I'm going to go towards and do like some of the sillier video games. So I have the Lego Harry Potter games. Um, and then I have t- been told that the PlayStation like old school 
like PS1 games are ridiculous. So I'm going to try to find a, a way to play those games uh, and, and do episodes about that. So yeah, I think Harry Potter video games is the next uh, frontier. Are we talking like PS1 Quidditch Harry Potter? Yeah, I ha- I've played the Quidditch game. So there'll definitely be at least part of an episode about Quidditch World Cup. I've played that game, which even though I hate Quidditch in the books, uh-huh, I uh-huh. did enjoy that video game. It was very fun. So I, I not a sporty person myself, but um, I, I do the other stuff, you know, the reading of the books. <laughs> but, but I was obsessed with that game. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. And my brother lent it out to one of his friends, even though it was my game and not his. And <sighs> How dare he? We never got it back. And that is oh, a grudge no. I am That's still holding. <laughs> so yeah. No, I feel you. There was back in high school, I lent one of my neighbors a copy of I beat the Spider-Man three PlayStation three video game and I let him borrow it. Um, And then he hooked up with my ex-girlfriend and I never (gasps) spoke to him again afterwards. But then part of me was always like, ah, Devin has my Spider-Man (laughs) three. I don't want to talk to him. There's any reason to talk to him again. That would be it. (laughs) Yep. But nope, 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 nope. And no, I have to say the Lego Harry Potter games are one of my favorite games. I've played them through and beat them like six times. I freaking love those games. So if they're you have- fun. I'm yeah. I'm halfway through the first one and I've really enjoyed it. Oh my god, they're so so fun. Um, and I can't wait until Hogwarts Legacy comes out, and then you have a whole new thing to talk about because that is going to be beast of a game i'm so excited yeah i'll have to see i don't know if i'm in the business of uh buying any official harry potter related merchandise and i and let i want written statements from everyone that like jk rowling doesn't get any money before i buy anything oh i'm (laughs) planning on i i'm i'm definitely planning on buying it used if i can yeah uh, yeah good go to i mean that's why i hope gamestop continues to exist because i know that they've been in a little bit of trouble but there you can go and buy a physical (laughs) copy used and i need them to be around so i can do that and play hogwarts legacy because don't worry, Reddit's so on it. So you are behind, yeah, you're behind Wall Street Bets is what we've learned. It's all a ploy for you to play this game. <laughs> I'm really hoping that wouldn't come out. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Sell, sell, sell. You know, that was really smart of you to pose as a man, create a white man creating Wall Street Bets and making yeah. it like super bro and fratty and then like convincing everyone yeah convincing all... everyone to like buy it. GameStop I did it all for classic my misdirect love. I did it all for my love of Potter guys I did it's the it. long con the long con <laughs> yes I'm just so smart you don't understand well when you're not moderating Wall Street bets on Reddit Helene what media are you consuming <laughs> yeah so I feel like because this Pod has seen me through my uh, journey of watching Bones um, and uh, the <laughs> slapping theme song. Um, but I just finished the last season and I'm just, there's like a hole in my heart, like 12 seasons of a show. That's a long time. Um, and now it's done and I'm sad. Um, so bye bye Bones. But I, I, sorry, I have like five of them. So I just have to go through them all really quickly. Uh, second, um, WandaVision. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. I know I've mentioned good, that I'm watching good. it. But the freaking latest episode blew my goddamn mind. It's so good, you guys. Oh, my God. If you haven't started watching it yet, go watch it right now. I swear to God. Well, okay. Don't do what my friend Rex is doing and try to watch it before watching all the Marvel movies because you won't understand the thing that's going on. So go back, watch all of the Marvel movies, and then watch it. It will be worth it. I promise. 
Um, and then finally, I watch a documentary um, on Hulu called Framing Britney Spears. It's from the New York Times. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's really interesting. It's weird because I grew up, you know, like I was alive during all of the stuff that went on. I was born in 1993. And like the, the whole thing with like Britney like shaving her head off and going crazy with paparazzi that was all in like 2007 it was all back in like 2007 2008 um so I was alive like I knew it was going on but I really did not understand the whole conservatorship like I didn't realize that was a thing so for those who don't know like aren't up on their Britney pop culture and um haven't watched the documentary yet um when Britney was you know when she married Kevin Federline and then had her children and then kind of went insane um, as people say, which is not what happened, but that's how the media likes to say what happened and shaved her head and went all crazy. Her dad put her under a conservatorship so that he would have complete total control over her estate and her money and her person, because he was worried that she was going to lose all of her money or spend it on something frivolous and not have money anymore. Mm -hmm. And that basically, like she basically she's been in this conservatorship for 12 years and she has no free will about what she does with her public life or her money or herself at all. Yeah. Her, her contracts are all run through him. She has no say he can accept any contract on her behalf. He is basically, and he's also taking a salary from the conservatorship. Multiple people are actually, there's multiple conservators yeah. on her conservatorship. Yeah. So it's he gets awful. paid on both ends. He gets paid on that end and also on making the deals for her. Yeah. So she's this grown ass woman and she doesn't have control of her own life. And she is, she has, apparently she has been fighting it for a while, but she's like more publicly fighting it now. And so there's this whole free Britney movement to try and help her gain control of her life back because of, you know, a time of kind of, mental unstableness that she went through 12 years ago is still controlling her life honestly i think she was you know postpartum depression definitely i was i mean i was in college by then so i was really like i was super aware of everything that was happening and how it was being covered but also like the the temperature, as it were, about celebrities back then was very much like, look at Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears just partying out and just like doing coke or whatever. And when you look at the documentary and see like everything she had to put up with, I'd be like, yeah, I would have also took an umbrella at least to that car. Media coverage back then was wild. Like, just think about yeah. all of the Janet Jackson Super Bowl stuff. Yeah. That oh, yeah. has aged so poorly. They stopped talking about like the war to talk about the Janet Jackson stuff. It it's just absurd the way things were covered back then. And it's good that it seems like things are getting a little better now, but yeah, just to think back of how celebrity was covered in those, in the early 2000s. Well, is this is just also so disappointing. the era of Perez Hilton. Yeah. Who, oh, terrible person. Who was Awful. completely like now he, he tries to be like people magazine, like the, the most positive spin person. But he used to be like super nasty and like derogatory oh, yeah. towards everybody, all the, you know, yeah. everybody. And it was just very hateful. So, but that was the 
he was able to exist and thrive in that area because there was an appetite for it. Yeah, and I am watching this documentary, it became so completely obvious to me that the coverage of Britney's life and the things that she had to go through in the media and in public was very, very, very sexist. Um, a lot of the things that oh, she 100%. went through were, yeah, they were a lot of things she went through were solely because she's a woman. And um, like the way that they covered her breakup with Justin Timberlake, Ugh. awful. Um, well, also, I mean, look at the Janet Jackson, it, Justin yeah. Timberlake. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, the fact that Janet took all the heat, but not the guy who did the ripping of the thing. Oh, like, yeah. Obnoxious. No, J- Justin Timberlake's career thrived off of, you know, the fail, quote unquote, failings of like the women in his life. It's it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, he literally had a hand in both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> On the destruction of both those images. Because yeah. like after after she and Justin broke up that's kind of when her career it didn't tank but her public perception her image yeah, yeah she wasn't that like sweet little innocent girl anymore she broke the heartthrob's heart apparently i don't know so okay. yeah it's yeah. it's really it's really eye-opening if you like britney or if you don't even know that much about britney um i would definitely consider watching it that's it for my media i did have one plug though because uh we recorded a special episode of speakeasy last night that's going to be releasing on sunday on valentine's day it's a special valentine's day episode we also have a um announcement about the future of the pod that i highly suggest you listen to if you care about what's going to happen with that podcast um until fantastic beats 3 comes out and um uh we talk about vila and the valentine's day massacre and it's pretty great so take a listen Awesome. Well, um, I am on another week on my 30 monedas, 30 coins, slash action priest, as I like to call it, bullshit. But I did finish a delightful novel that had been on my to-be-read pile called Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. If you had ever wondered, like, what if the actor from my favorite TV show that's based on a book also wrote fanfic and then we met on a fanfic forum and without <laughs> me knowing and all this other stuff give it a read it's great <laughs> that's awesome that sounds really good all right that's it for today's episode join us next week as we get to chapter 30 23 i don't know my numbers Not anymore 32. <laughs> <laughs> we're skipping 10 chapters <laughs> memento the podcast <laughs> I'm having a day. Okay, Christmas on the closed ward of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, and if you've enjoyed this conversation, please take a second to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. All feedback. Um, I know Adriana likes to say five stars or nothing, but... Yeah, cinco estrellas o nada. But, I mean, I would prefer you give us five stars, but I like feedback. I like only five star affirmation. That's you the can still thing. leave constructive criticism, but then also make it five stars. That is yeah, possible. Exactly. Like five stars, yes. great. Here's one thing I think you could improve. Everyone wins. Follow Mike's advice. He's he's wise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until then, politics managed. All right, we're here in the secret section of the show that only the coolest people have access to. <laughs> Just like a super cool 
place where we talk shit about anything. <laughs> yeah, that's what we use the Patreon section for. <laughs> Just talk we're shit. The, we're the Rita Skeeters of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> we're back on our bullshit, guys. Heck yeah. Well, we're actually going to be talking about somewhat of like a wholesome type of, I guess, I mean, depending on. Well, wholesome yet pro- deeply problematic topic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, on the surface, wholesome. Uh, when you dig into it a little bit deeper, maybe not. Um, this uh, Patreon segment, we're going to be discussing, I know it sounds vague and broad, but we're going to discuss love in the wizarding world. Um, there's a lot actually to dive into in regards to the concept and existence of love and the power and the magic behind it in this specific world. Um, don't you agree? (laughs) To quote, to quote a, a great band. (laughs) I believe in a thing called love. No, no. no. (laughs) That that was the other one. That was the other one. I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. Yeah. Or what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't Don't hurt hurt me. No no more. more. (laughs) Oh, man. And this has been karaoke with (laughs) Ali and Adrian. (laughs) How many songs with the word love in it can we think of? Oh, wait, literally all of the songs have the word love in them. Um, <laughs> so the reason I got this idea for this um, this segment was, well, A, this is, re- this is releasing on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. So I thought it would be nice to talk about, you know, what Valentine's Day is all about, but specifically in the context of Harry Potter. Uh, but I, I've always been intrigued... Um, there's there's the love room in the Department of Mysteries, which we don't know a lot about, but we know it's very intriguing and very, like, complicated. Mm-hmm, but then we, mm-hmm. we also know that, like, love is kind of the overrunning series of the entire, the overrunning theme, sorry, not series, the overrunning theme of the entire series, um, starting, you know, the very first chapter, basically, when we find out that, you know, Lily sacrificed herself for her child and later we find out that her love is the thing that stopped Voldemort from being able to kill Harry as an infant back at the very beginning um and how that's protected him her love has protected him in like a really physical way that's manifested in magic throughout the whole saga basically yeah and we have like ideas of of love in the books like there's you know, um, fraternal love, there's um, friendship, you know, type of love. There's tough love if you're looking at McGonagall, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But that's all kind of like intangible love, right? Like, you can't measure it. And I feel like... I mean, can you measure a mother's love? Well, with the... I mean, when I say intangible and like not measure, I mean... There were no physical manifestations. Manifestations, exactly. Yeah. Um, So the fact that Quirrell literally couldn't touch Harry without turning to dust, basically, in the first book, is because of love. Like that is the physical manifestation of magical love. I mean, yeah, you have a really good point there. What I am wondering is, though, 
onto the less um, great part of the series mm-hmm. in terms of love is we have this potion, the love potion. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And that potion kind of strips the taker from the, the their free will and they become in love with the subject, right? Yeah. And this is romantic love, correct? I mean, it's infatu- it's infatuation and lust. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, it should really be called the lust potion, but whatever. So I just wonder, like, are there? To me, that's like manufactured, obviously, like manufactured oh. love or whatever. Yeah. But are there any other ways to manufacture other types of affection? Like, is there a potion that a makes someone want to be some- your friend? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a friend potion. Um. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know. Because those are very distinct, <laughs> distinctly different levels yeah. of love. Yeah, well, I mean, um, like, like the only one to talk about is this like paternal, yeah. maternal one. Oh, yeah. And then the the lust infatuation one brought on by well, Art I mean, Morensha. Yeah, I mean, like the I think that a big a big theme in the in the series is definitely the fact that love will always beat out hate. Like, I think in the lexicon, when I was doing the research for this, there was one reference to when Harry was being possessed by Voldemort at the end of um, Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. The, 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 like, the only, the, the reason that he was able to get out from under his possession was he drew out, he, he pushed him out with love. Like, his overwhelming amount, his overwhelming ability to love other people is what made it so that Voldemort could not possess Harry anymore. Well, and and from canon, we know that the only thing that Voldemort does not understand is love. Exactly. Which has has been problematic based on some of the comments that the the author has made. The fact that he was (laughs) born, he was conceived under the effects of a love spell made him a psychopath. And that's just drawing a very sad... Un, like untrue, inaccurate, false equivalence to people who are the product of rape being awful people. Like just because your you know father or mother might have been a rapist does not mean that you are going to turn out like Voldemort. <laughs> Correct. And it just that comment to me ran so opposite of what this series is supposed to be about because Voldemort's supposed to not like I I think to to call Voldemort like a complete sociopath or psychopath I mean it's not unrealistic because listen like four out of every a hundred people in the United States is a sociopath but I mean not everyone becomes a killer yeah there are people out there who cannot understand the concept of love, but they can kind of say like, well, I mean, I mean whatever, I there, guess. <laughs> there are arrow ace people out there, you know, aromance, aromantic people. Um, it's literally oh, yeah. their- I'm talking about separate, like these are two separate things though, right? Yeah, like, no, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm drawing equivalent and equivalency to the fact that like there are people who 
literal like sexual orientation is that they don't feel love or sexual attraction but they are just as valid human beings and good human beings as you know anybody who does feel those things yeah but to paint like Voldemort as just like a stereotypical sociopath is just the laziest brush you can use in your author's toolkit not because it's unheard of of someone being a sociopath it's it's not about that it's about like what if he can kind of like he could feel it but he just like threw it aside in favor of his ambition and the the piece of himself that he destroyed by doing so is what makes him like that rather than he was just you know the product of a rape so of course he's messed up yeah i think it was just convenient you know oh he's incapable of love oh and it also just happens to be that he was conceived of under a love potion so let's just you know make those two things related somehow and and a doesn't necessarily have to go to b yeah you know, like, there's no, like, was it, what is it? Causation is not correlation. Just because one thing happened first and then another thing happened second doesn't mean the first caused the second part. Exactly. Yeah. Causation does not equal correlation. Or correlation does not equal causation. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, definitely. I think. Yeah. They, sorry. I messed that up. But, yeah. you know, you get that. I also, I mean, <laughs> I also messed it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just so weird because I feel like, when J.K. Rowling tried to create this theme or whatever throughout the books, she, like, couldn't make up her mind. She was, I feel like she really needs to go see a therapist because I don't exactly know, I mean, for this and many other reasons, but specifically for this reason, she should go see a therapist because I think that her concept of what love is is very confusing. Yeah, um, um, I think she would she would be singing, I want to know what love is. <laughs> I want you to show me <laughs> exactly. to a therapist. I mean, because yeah. like we see, like, I think that if she just left it at, you know, mother's love protects, um, provides protective magic uh, to make sure that or even just a sacrificing love, because in the in uh, not even does doesn't have to just be mother's love. It's the love of sacrificing yourself for other people because Harry does that in Deathly Hallows. He sacrifices himself for the entirety of Hogwarts. And because of that, no one is injured in the Battle of Hogwarts from that time on because they're being protected by his protective love magic. So like, I like that that theme a lot. It's awesome. It's very, very interesting to me. But to it, kind, she kind of invalidates it with Amortentia, with a love potion. Because the existence of a love potion in general makes love something that you can manufacture and imitate and force, which kind of strays away from that idea that love is like this pure magical protective thing. Well, the idea is, I think that it's a counterfeit love, like it's not real love. Maybe she's, you know how she... Yeah, but I she mean, also, I mean, like, speaks highly of it throughout the series. Mm-hmm. You know, like, no, Molly no. talks about it, Jenny buys some, you know, like, it's not, like, this reviled thing. Do we think, okay, so so this is this is where, to me, it gets a little bit, not, well, this is, Armortentia for me is pretty problematic. 
Yeah. But do we think she started out thinking of Armortentia as something like perfume, which could, I don't Attract know, be someone? seen yeah. be seen as like an attraction situation that yeah, like you know pheromones you know, or something <laughs> yeah like where we where, where we as as uh, women mm-hmm. wouldn't like necessarily side eye anyone else for buying perfume or cologne yeah um or and even then, like, like chemical attractants like pheromones and things like that like those are for sale real uh, yeah, yeah like and, and so actually some perfumes have pheromones in them yeah and but the thing with that is that like Yes, someone who uses that is doing like a little extra to try and or like makeup, you know, or you yeah. know whatever you use to look your best and attract and and feel your best. I yeah. think that she started out thinking like when she was world world building, right? I think that she saw Amortensia more like that, like a luxury good that just made you like made you more attractive. In, in the way that women buy makeup and perfume, even, yeah, if, but, even uh, if it's for themselves. Well, there's a difference, though, because perfume and pheromones and all those things, those are things that you buy to consume or use yourself. Amortentia, love potion, is something you, that you yes. give to someone else. Oh, no, but that's what I, so what I was trying to say is, I think she tried to make that connection at first when she was mm-hmm. world building, and then she threw that out the window. When it became like, oh no, this is basically like a roofie. <laughs> yeah, but then she ran with it. Like, exactly. That's the issue. I know. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah. So I I wanted to on, on this continuity kind of, errors. Yeah. You know? On this topic, I I wanted to read. Um, a, she made some comments about the love room in the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, go ahead. Because this is like one of the book's biggest mysteries to me. Is like. What's in that love room? Why is it so important? Why is it? And I'll read it and then I'll and then I'll kind of expand on it. So she's. This is what J.K. Rowling said on the love room. What's in the love room? It's the place where they study what love means. So that room, I believe, would have it at its center a kind of fountain or well containing a love potion, a very powerful love potion. You know that the first time that they ever enter Slughorn's potions class and he starts talking about Amortentia, the love potion, and he says it's the most dangerous one in the room. That's why they, that's what they would have found in the love room. So you would see wizards and witches taking it. They would study the effects. The room, of course, has to be locked. And you know, again, there's this thread running throughout the books, what love does, and it raises people to the heights of absolute heroism, as in Lily, Harry, and Neville. And it also leads them into acts of foolishness and even evil, which is Bellatrix and also Dumbledore. He became foolish. He lost his center, his moral his moral center, and he became infatuated. So that's what it does. That's what makes it dangerous. It's a lot to unpack there, but I always thought it I always found it so intriguing as to like why she she even says it in the book that love is the most dangerous thing in the world. And I was was so interested in like why did she think it was dangerous? And I think it's I think it's kind of problematic that she she looks at she like holds love in this such high regard in terms of like the themes of the books, and then also so it can be the reason that people do really great things and the reason that people do really awful things. And she convolutes it a lot. It's just very it's very weird to me. 
I think she's bringing her trauma into this. Uh, yeah. Don't we all? But, you know, she she was in an abusive marriage. Yeah. Um, with, you know, her first husband. Yeah. Before she even wrote Harry Potter. And she has a daughter with that person. I, I mean, I don't know enough about her personal life after that. I, I think she married a doctor. But it might just be like she's conflating two things of like, I did really stupid things when I was in love with this, you know, abusive asshole or whatever. Therefore, this or is like, what I'm... Do you think that maybe she's... This is why another reason why she really needs therapy. But like, maybe she is thinking that the the abusive things her husband did he did out of love which is what makes love yeah. dangerous when really it yeah. wasn't out of love <laughs> he didn't do awful things to her because he loved her and I don't know if she like that's where it kind of where she kind of loses well, it, me I think it's I, I, I like everything it's, it's complicated right like, when we talk about abusive uh, significant others whether it's emotionally physically or both because one of the things in the pattern of abuse is love bombing, which is like that instant connection, like you've never felt this way before. They're so complimentary of you. They love you so much. And for a person who hasn't, like who's in a, in a I want to say like weak, maybe vulnerable position or a person who has yearned to be loved Mm-hmm. and has really never received like real love that feels like soulmate level love and when they start turning on you which is like when they start calibrating to see what your reaction is going to be so they can control you mm-hmm. or you know they start criticizing you for every little thing and see if you know you change to please them and then kind of like steadily um up the ante that that can still feel like love if you come from a a place where you've been criticized all your life and they will tell you they love you and they will you know they will everything is is you know I just love you so much I just you know (laughs) I couldn't help myself and that's that's the narrative of a lot of like shitty relationships and it doesn't even have to be like heteronormative relationships. Like this can happen in any relationship, even in friendships, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, yeah. The, the fact that. And she needs therapy. I agree. I mean, like, so, no, it's, yeah. It's just the fact that like there, she had such a great thing going with this theme of love over, over conquering, oh, not that over conquering, but love she over tried- overcoming hate. And love will always win, and uh, love can, you know, be the thing that protects uh, the people that you love, and whatever. Like that was a great theme, and then it's just it's just difficult because there are so many other ways that she talks about love in the series that are really problematic. That like I just wish Amartensia didn't exist. Okay, honestly, I I keep thinking about this as we're talking, and I think <laughs> that what ended up happening. with the whole love thing that she had a good thing going is that she had this concept Mm -hmm. and she's like great I'm gonna write like I'm gonna write around this right so she had like the thing and then like midway through she's like is it maybe too simple 
is it not displaying enough nuance? And she probably overthought it to the point of ruining it throughout, like, the yeah, rest of the books. I don't know. I have no idea. But I like... Having not having not written seven books in a row. Yeah, I can't right, exactly. <laughs> I love that you, you made this note uh, here that says that while love is the central idea of the series, it's not romantic love. It's rather the love that a parent has for their child. And I just want to point out that I believe she wrote this book kind of as like a reaction to her mother's death. Yes. Or, or like, or her parents' death. I think, I think it was her mother, but I can't, can't exactly remember. Um, But I feel like this, like just writing that theme was probably very therapeutic for her. She got to, but Joe, yeah, I know. You got money now. We need you to <laughs> like go she, see a therapist. Um, she wrote herself a world where a mother's love is literally the most important thing. Because, okay, do you know? Like, do you know on Twitter when they say, "But we." Thanks for like the tweets, but we need you to follow the account. Yeah, you know? I, like thanks for the books, but we need you to go to a therapist. Yeah, no, I mean I totally agree. I just think it's really interesting as a, as a person who is very intrigued in human behavior and why people do the things that they do. It's really, really. I think it adds something to to know that that's the motivation behind the theme of love in the books because it makes it more meaningful. I think it's also pretty subversive. Because when we talk about love culturally, we almost always mean romantic yeah. love. In in terms of the discourse, you know, in in the open. And there's a lot that is being left out when we talk about relationships as only being romantic. I have a very great friend uh who's uh, area of study is actually friendship. Wow, that's fun. I would like to study that. Oh, you you guys are two <laughs> Hufflepuffs in a pod. You'd love her. Her name is Dr. Elisa Lucas, and she is a communications professor. And her main area of study is friendship. And how that gets kind of sidelined, like yeah. those really important relationships that can be even more transformational than romantic love they get sidelined you know and i definitely think that friendship and love is extremely important but you know what i think the type of love that is the most underrated it has to no love of food it it has to be (laughs) self-love people don't people don't talk about that nearly enough like valentine's day i've been single for a while and i I used to be like crazy obsessed with finding a relationship, being to being with someone. I felt like I couldn't be complete without someone. And then I went through my emotional, emotionally abusive relationship. And that's when I decided to focus on myself. And all this to say that it wasn't until I had many, many a Valentine's Day where I thoroughly was just not interested in being with someone. Um, that I realized that it was a really great day to focus on the relationship I have with myself, how I, how I think about myself, Mm -hmm. how I can cultivate those feelings of love and acceptance for myself. 
And I wish that was a bigger theme in media, you know, like I wish self-love was, was talked about more. I love that. I also am the kind of person who enjoys, uh, even though I'm, I'm an extrovert, I do enjoy moments of solitude. So I have, you know, pre-pandemic, <laughs> imagine a world where there's not a pandemic. I would take myself out for like solo dates to the movie theater or, yeah, you know, well, just be out The thing is you myself. don't have to be physically alone to be practicing self-love because yeah, oh, no, I mean, no, correct, correct. Yeah, but that was my my idea of self love. Yeah, is treating exactly. Myself so, out. like, when I say like being alone, I mean just like not in a relationship with anybody. But a lot of the ways that I practice self love oh. is cultivating those friendships and relationships in my life that make me happy, that make me a better person. By spending time with people that I love, I am. M- nurturing myself and making myself happy and therefore practicing self-love yeah and again like self-love super important right and also it's the only way that you're able to have not a not only a healthy relationship with yourself but enough in your cup as it were to give out to others and it would have been really because you can't, you know, you can't give if you don't exactly. refill your own. Exactly. It would have been really nice to see a theme of self-love in the series a little bit. I feel like a lot of the stories told throughout Harry Potter are kind of dependent on love coming from outside sources. Whether it's pertur- like whether it's you know parent love, friendship love, or romantic love. Yeah, that's, I think you're completely, you know, correct. I wish, now that I think about it, I too wish we had seen like an arc where Harry's like, self-love is all I need to do. Right. Yeah, like. (laughs) Like a, like a chicken, like a chicken soup for the book. I mean, I guess we sort of. What is it? Yeah, chicken chicken soup soup for the soul. soul. Um, (laughs) I, I guess we sort of somewhat tiny, itty bitty bit see it with Neville. And the fact that, like, he is so yeah. not confident and so, like, self-conscious the first few books. And then he kind of does come into his own. And I think that... Speaking speaking of mm-hmm. Neville, my boy, that's who I would want yeah, to Yeah, that would be really interesting. Way. I was just thinking about that. Like, imagine if we could see Neville's perspective during those those years when he's kind of finding himself, you know? Like... How are how are those inner monologues changing from man I suck I'm the worst to I actually think I can do this I'm I'm actually getting pretty good you know and um like I'm yeah like oh I found something I'm passionate yes. about oh like I'm really starting to love the person that I'm becoming um and the person that I am and and that kind of is like a it's it's just like a circle of you know giving love to yourself makes you give you more things to love about yourself and then you give more love to yourself and it's just like a cycle and i i think that that's why we get badass you know nagini killing neville at the end of the series because he was able to find that self-love because he stopped because he stopped needing that validation from outside sources as much right because i think the reason that he was so self like down on himself 
at the beginning was because of his grandma. You know, like he wanted validation from his grandma. He wanted validation from his teachers. He wanted validation from his friends. And then he realized, like, I can give myself that validation and I can be just as good. Yeah. And it it's always really... So Harry doesn't need validation from the Dursleys because he doesn't right. respect them. But Neville loves and respects his grandmother. So to hear that from someone you love is so hurtful oh, and yeah. damaging. Believe me. I know. <laughs> oh, I, I'm speaking, speaking from experience right. again. <laughs> me. <laughs> well, we really connect with this character yeah. of Neville, you yeah, and I. Yeah, I have a, definitely a deep love for, for Neville and the journey he has throughout these books. You know what? He's kind of like Loki Seth's Aww, favorite character. He always is like in the background for me, you know? Like I do love him, but I don't think about him very often, you know? And But when I do think about him, I love what I what I think. Like I love him, but, you know, he's not at the... I think he's like the real underdog and maybe that's yeah. why Seth is like, He's yes, not at the I forefront of my mind, but he's a, he's a, you know, stand-up guy. By yeah. design, though, by design. So that's why I I'm want yeah. the yeah, books from his point of view. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for today. Yes. <laughs> uh, moral of the story, uh, what you can grab, you know, TLDR. Um, love yourself and care for yourself. That's that's my uh, message that I want to send out to people today. What is it that RuPaul says? About loving yourself? What does RuPaul say about loving yourself? Okay, wait. I'm going to... Okay. Quote by RuPaul. Uh, If you don't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? I mean... By RuPaul. I know a lot of... Accurate? I mean, I do have to say, I know a lot of people... Well, not a lot of people. I know a good amount, a handful of people that are in, like, I would say, quote-unquote, successful romantic relationships that I don't believe love themselves. And are you subtweeting me? No, really? not at all. <laughs> you're probably just kidding. You are just of, kidding. You're definitely I'm one of the more uh, emotionally like aware people that I have in my life. But no, I, I definitely know people <laughs> who like those type of people that like jump from relationship, relationship to relationship who are uncomfortable being alone. Oh yeah. And I mean, maybe they're the exception, not the rule. Uh, maybe that it is possible to love someone else fully without loving yourself. But no, I think if you don't love, okay. So coming from experience also, if you don't love yourself, right. And you're in a romantic relationship, you are going to become like slightly or overtly yeah. codependent. That's and true. that is not true. Love. I mean, you uh, seeking outside validation from your romantic partner while your romantic partner should give you outside validation. It shouldn't be a necessity in your relationship. Anyway, um, happy Valentine's day. We love you guys. Um, and thank you so much for supporting the show. And we hope that you make this Valentine's day about loving all the people that are important to you in your life, but mostly, most importantly yourself. Yeah, but like not in a sociopath, narcissistic way, in a very healthy, balanced way. And uh, please see a therapist if you're having like thoughts like JK's about love. Thank you. I was trying to end it on a happy note and then you'd say something like that.
But also, happy Valentine's Day! <laughs> Support this show by going to patreon.com slash Occupolitics. Our patrons keep this show going. You can find us online at Occupolitics.com and we are at Occupolitics on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can email us your thoughts at info at occupolitics.com. Leave us a voicemail at 915-996-1699 and you might just hear yourself on the podcast. Adriana Wilson is the founder and creative director of the podcast. Helene Karp is the producer and social media manager. Allison Pullman is the audio wizard and editor who makes us sound so good. Cover art and physical rewards are designed by Adriana Wilson. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are expressly their own and not representative of their employers or associates. Occupolitics is part of the MuggleNet family of podcasts.